You know, as we get into this happy series, um, we do know these two facts. Everybody wants to be happy. And, and the fact that may shock us is that God actually wants us to be happy. But this morning, I want to introduce you to some barriers that I think come between us and being happy in God. I hope you'll take notes. The first barrier is we tend to put a barrier between God and, on the other hand, we put happiness. We, we think God's on one side, happiness is on the other side. And in fact, if I go over to God's side, I'll probably lose my happiness. And, and so let me say this. The central reason many of us don't experience happiness is that we don't see God as happy. You know, if He's the one we're following, He's the one we've made in His image, He's the one we're going to spend eternity with. And if I don't see him as being happy, it's probably pretty hard for me to be happy. It's like having a cranky roommate. Anybody in here ever had a cranky roommate? Raise your hand. Okay? You notice I asked in the past. I did not ask in the present. Because we might have some married couples in trouble if I said, do you have a cranky roommate? Well, we've all had cranky roommates. And can you imagine living with a cranky roommate forever? I mean, you, you got away from that cranky roommate. And, and so if, if we see God as being cranky, actually, who wants to go to heaven? Because no one shops for milk at an auto parts store, and nobody goes to a cranky God for happiness. So we need to understand what John Wesley said Years ago, the surest way to a sour religion is to have a sour God. You ever seen some sour religious people? You know, you know the truth is why they were so sour? is because they thought God was sour, and that's the way they're supposed to be. But listen to me. God is a God who takes great pleasure. When we see Him in creation, He stops at the each day of creation to enjoy, to celebrate what He's done. I mean, we, we can barely relate to this. It's like that hot summer day where you get outside and you, and you cut your grass and you can see something happening. And then you, you just sort of sit back on your porch and you enjoy what happened there. You, you did something. And, and God is a God who enjoyed his creation and continues to enjoy his creation. There's a whole chapter in the book of Job where God is enjoying the anatomy of a horse where he's just celebrating this beautiful creature that he created. And, and so then we get to, to Jesus, and Jesus says, My joy, I want to leave with you. And, and we get to the judgment scene when, when we're, we're welcomed in Matthew 25 into the presence of God, and here's what the Bible literally says, Come and share in my happiness forever. He's not a cranky God, he's a happy God, and he wants you to be a part of that. A couple passages we looked at a few weeks ago from 1 Timothy chapter 1. Let me give you the literal translation. We're sharing the gospel concerning the glory of the happy God. Now, most of our translations won't use that because it doesn't seem spiritual. And many of us, I found myself struggling through this series. Am I okay putting the word happy and the word God together? It almost sounds sacrilegious, but it's not. Scripture does it. And then later in the book of Timothy, in chapter 6, he says, God, the happy and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Not about you, but I easily see him as King of kings. 
I easily know he's the Lord of Lords. But sometimes I've not visualized him as a happy God. And listen to me, friends, that is what has stolen much of our happiness. So let me give you the other barrier. Very, very similar. We also create a barrier between the sacred and the secular. You know, I've got my spiritual life over here, and I go to church, and I read my Bible, and I pray, and I fast, and I, I do all of those things. That's my spiritual, sacred life. And then I come over here, and I've got my secular life, and I, I go to parties, and I enjoy walking in nature, and I enjoy eating good food, but it's separate. Because that is a very unbiblical view of life. The truth is, all things belong to God. The truth is, it's all sacred. And we get in a lot of trouble when we compartmentalize that. That's how we end up living a life one way at church and another way out of here. I don't know if you paid close attention to Tim's testimony last week. But one thing he said was, the way I was able to get into this addiction was I compartmentalized my life. I went to church as much as I ever had. I looked good and out in a different compartment, uh, over a different barrier than I had this other life. And we're able to do that. Sometimes even our songs express this idea. And I'm about to quote one of my favorite old songs. But I think there's some bad theology in it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his wonder and grace. My friends, there's a problem with that song. The truth is, if you will turn your eyes upon Jesus, the things of this earth will become brighter. Because it's the Jesus who created this that when you know him, the rest of it becomes more and more alive. So there's a danger in us separating God and happiness and the sacred and the secular. In fact, the Bible addresses this. It's the same issue they were dealing with in Scripture. They were dividing the spiritual from the physical. In the long run, it would end up theologically in what we call Gnosticism. And Gnosticism says what happens in the spirit is good, and everything in the physical is not good. And they're not connected, so you can do anything in the physical, and you can do what you want to in the spiritual. And it was extremely dangerous doctrine at the end of the first century that had to be addressed over and over in Scripture. Now, it first begins to show up in the book of 1 Timothy. I want you to open your Bible if you have them, or go on your phone to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1-5. through 5. We read some of this passage, but now I want you to see the context. There are some people here that are beginning to, to say there are certain things God's given you to enjoy that you don't need to enjoy. So, so listen to me. Listen to Scripture. The Spirit clearly says, verse 1, In latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. Now, here we go. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. They're, they're telling people not to marry, don't enjoy this food, when God says, I created both of them. 
In fact, look, listen to the last verse there. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received, here's the rejoinder, with thanksgiving, because it's consecrated by the Word of God and prayer. You see, they're making a serious mistake of divorcing God from the pleasures He created. Now, guys, I think some of us struggle with this. You ever just having a really good time doing something we view as secular and you feel guilty? You know, I mean, I mean you, you go to a ball game, you think, man, I, sh- I shouldn't be enjoying myself this way, you know. You go to a party, you think, I shouldn't be enjoying myself. You know, you're enjoying this wonderful meal of choice foods, and you think, man, I, I, I shouldn't have this when people are starving in Africa. I mean, it's so easy for us to, to divide these things and end up not enjoying them. In fact, if you go further in 1 Timothy, let's go to chapter 6 now. He gives us a perfect example of this. In, in chapter 6, he's dealing with wealthy people. Listen, and if we'd really be honest here, guys, if you live in America, most all of us are wealthy. I mean, just if you ever travel the globe, hardly anybody else on the globe lives the way we do. And, and so don't try to put this off to somebody else. But he's trying to tell wealthy people how to handle their wealth. And you're going to find something a little surprising in here. Look at verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth. Don't put your hope in it. It's not worthy of that because it's, he says it's so uncertain. You can be rich today and poor tomorrow. It comes and it goes. But to put their hope in God, that's the only worthy place. Now watch this next line. This surprises us. Who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Don't put your hope in it, but it's okay to enjoy what God's given you. And then he gives a few more ideas here. Command them to be good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they may take hold of life that is truly life. Uh, understand, earlier in chapter 6, he's called God the happy God. And now he gets to our issue with wealth, and he says, okay, guys, there's a problem with this if you put your hope in wealth. But there's no problem with you enjoying your wealth. Just make sure that you're generous, that you're not greedy, and that you give to people who need it. Now, I'm going to leave it to your life group to look back and put this passage together with the times in the Gospels where Jesus says, go sell everything you've got. I think there's a great way to put this together. But I'm going to leave that to you guys. Don't have time to address this. But here's what I want you to see today. Here's the point I need to see. Is that the God who created all these pleasures, listen to me. These things were all God's idea. He says, and I love the older translations here, I'm giving you all things to enjoy. In fact, look at this list. And maybe you can't read it on the screens. You can see it on your bulletin. I've just tried to list all these different things. I'm sure this is not a comprehensive list. But there's some things on this list that really do look spiritual. And I go, God would be okay with me enjoying Bible study. God is wonderful with me enjoying this Wonderful worship service we've had today. God's okay with me being spiritual. 
but does God really want me to enjoy work? Is it okay for me to enjoy getting more fit? Can I enjoy entertainment like a TV program? Is it okay for me to, to take a nap and rest? One of my favorite authors is a guy named John Ortberg. In one of his books, he writes this. On some days, the most spiritual thing that you could do is take a nap. I've given you permission for this afternoon, okay? So don't criticize your spouse when they want to take a nap. You guys, God has given us all of these things to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy a good night's rest. He wants you to enjoy being out in the backyard throwing ball with your child. He wants you to enjoy that ball game you went to. He wants you to enjoy a fresh biscuit with good butter on top of it. He wants you to enjoy chocolate. Amen? Uh, Even bacon with chocolate on it. Isn't that crazy? Said that for Paul Evans. I mean, he wants you to enjoy those things. He's okay with those things. You see, our view is this spiritual stuff's good and this physical stuff's not good. So many of us steal ourselves from real happiness. Now, let me give a couple of warnings about this. When you look over this list, there's some things i got to warn you about. First of all, don't enjoy the gifts outside of God's guardrails. God has some guardrails for these things. Often he says, okay, I want you to enjoy it. I want you to enjoy it in these parameters. Because if it gets out of this parameter, it's dangerous. For instance, a word that might surprise you on this list was the word sex. I can remember a day when, as a preacher, you are not allowed to use the word sex in an assembly. And we, view, we grew up with a view that sex was wrong when sex was actually God's idea. It's like this. It's like a river. Ask the people in Houston, Texas. A river that's within its banks is a wonderful thing. You can go fishing in it. You can go swimming in it. You can have recreation in it. You can even produce power with that water. But when it overruns the riverbanks, it's extremely destructive. And so God knows sex in its right place in marriage is a wonderful thing, but outside of that, it's a very dangerous thing. And so, guys, rest is okay until it becomes laziness. Food is okay until it becomes gluttony. I can even enjoy my wealth. I just can't be greedy. I need to watch out for another guardrail when it comes to alcohol, which is called drunkenness. He says that's wrong. There are some specific guardrails he's given. You see, here's here's our problem. Happiness suffers from guilt by association. Any of you ever suffered from guilt by association? Some of you suffered just being my friend, okay? Guilt by association. That's, 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 that's easy. And listen to this. Here, here's the way we reason if we're not careful. Since immorality is bad, sex is bad. Since laziness is bad, rest is bad. Since greed is bad, money is bad. Now think about that logic. I could carry that logic to a conclusion. Since gluttony is bad, food is bad. Now from the looks of you, I don't see anybody here who's agreed with that, all right? Since drowning is bad, water is bad. My friends, God has given us these things to enjoy. They're his idea, but God also knows where they belong. 
And when you get outside those guardrails, when you get outside the river, it begins to do great destruction. The second warning, probably the most important warning, don't allow a gift to become an idol. What is an idol? An idol is anything that you substitute for God. It's anything that becomes more important that dominates your time, your money, your effort, your attention more than God. Now, it could be some really good things on our list. For instance, work. We all know, those of us who struggle with being workaholics, that work can become your God. That There are people, I've never been one of these people, that fitness becomes their God. They, they are consumed with being completely fit at every moment. There are people that a friend can become their God. Your family can become your God. Your money can become your God. All these things, in God's view, are okay, begin to be dangerous. And in the world we live in, let's just be really honest, many of our hobbies become our God. We spend countless hours playing. We deteriorate our life into hours of mind-numbing TV, endlessly browsing the Internet, hours upon hours of video games. What God said is okay for you begins to dominate you, and before long, it takes God's place. It's so subtle. Let's deal with one that's pretty appropriate for this time of year, and that's sports. We live in a sports-obsessed culture. I mean, you can, you can talk about endless TV. You can just watch ESPN, Sports Center over and over again all day long. You can now on Saturday, your whole Saturday can be dominated by football. And, and guys, you know it's an issue. And, and this is a good week for me to talk about it because most of us won Saturday, okay? So, so we can talk about this. Otherwise, it's so sensitive. Some of you guys are very, very sensitive. I must be insensitive. Well, let, let me say this. If when your team loses a game, it affects your happiness for the rest of your week, it means too much. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be like, how am I going to live, man? I'm miserable. I mean, my goodness, if, if your team, whether they win or lose, if, the, if, if, if that determines our happiness, it's meaning way too much to us. In fact, I saw one of the most convicting quotations I've, I've seen in a long time by a writer named Randy Alcorn talking about our obsession with sports. Let me just read it word for word. It's a fair and idol-exposing question to ask ourselves how much time and money we spend on sports equipment, tickets, TV packages, fantasy picks, and gear to celebrate our team. Compared to the time and money we invest in teams that are taking the gospel to the world. If we care more about what's happening on the playing field than the mission field, sports has become an idol. Wow. Just a few months, we're going to be taking up a mission contribution in this church to support our mission work. Can I ask some of us, how is that going to compare to the money we spend on sports? My friends, the warning is God has given you a gift. Sports is a good thing. You don't have to go to a game yesterday and feel guilty about it. You just got to watch it becoming too important. Because everything that threatens to occupy the throne that God sits on is an idol. And here's, here's what happens, guys. Seeking happiness makes us vulnerable to idolatry. 
Okay, because if I find something that, see, the problem with all these things is they make me temporarily happy. My team wins this week, but they lose next week. You know, I, I, I got the money and I make the purchase, but the, it, it runs out, and so then I got to make a bigger purchase and a bigger purchase. I mean, you got the, the law of diminishing return. With all of these other things we're mentioning, they're okay, and they can bring you moments of happiness, but they can't bring you long-term happiness. And yet, us seeking them, I, I, I find, you know, that going out and being wild at that party, that, that going out and doing whatever I want to do with that person, that it, it, it fulfills me for that moment. And so I go a step and a step and a step. My happiness seeking leads me to be very vulnerable to be idols. And, and so, guys, all of these things are nice, but they don't belong in the role of God. Because they come and go. That's what Paul said about wealth. It is so uncertain. And so is everything else on this list. So let me say this. In, in just a few moments, we're going we're gonna to sing an invitation song. And this front row is going to be open. And I'll be down here to meet you. And it seems to me today's message would bring two different kinds of response. There are some of us that are enjoying some of the things God wants us to enjoy, but out of the boundaries. And there are some of us that we've made a nice gift to enjoy, our God. When you compare the money you spend on that to the money you give the Lord, when you compare the time you spend to that to the time you, you spend in ministry, well, I mean, it, it just, it's just become way too important. And you may need to show up on this front row to do what we do every Sunday, is to confess that and go, I want to be clean and I need your prayers. But there are others of us that our problem is sort of the opposite. We've grown up with a very uptight sense of religion that we can't even enjoy what God's given us. We make the purchase and we feel guilty. We go to the ball game and we feel guilty. We play with our kids and we feel, I'm not accomplishing anything. My friends, there's some of us who belong on this front row because we're not obeying God who says, I've given you all these things to enjoy. So I want you to be thinking about that, and we're going to sing in just a little bit. Before that, I want, I want this to become very, very real to you. So I'm, I want to call Catherine Clark to come up here and, and talk with us for a moment. If I can get these stools. Catherine's got a, a great story. Let me tell you just a little bit about her. Uh, Catherine grew up in Talladega, Alabama. She was actually a preacher's child, which has got to be a great advantage in life. You agree with that? Yeah. Okay, thank you. That was not very sincere on your part. Uh, Catherine actually came to Faulkner to school, and then she transferred to Freed Hardman College, and then she came back here, and she's been at AUM, and she's been very, very active in our campus ministry, but there was a year or so where she really got off track, and would you tell us about that, Catherine? Yeah, so um, growing up, I was a good girl. I tried to be a good girl. Um, I tried to... Um, stay away from all my temptations that I had, and so I did pretty good in high school and everything. Then I came to college. First year was pretty good. I did pretty good. Tried to stay away from things, um, but then after that first year, I kind of slowly started to give in to small sins, started to give in to things that I thought that the people at church wouldn't know about, that I didn't think my family or my friends would know about, um, and so it just started to slowly move, and then eventually I got tired of pretending to be somebody I wasn't. Um, I got tired of pretending that I was okay and that I wasn't sinning, and I decided I was going to give in completely, um, that I wasn't going to care what people thought about, I wasn't going to care what my family thought, I wasn't going to care what my friends thought, and I was going to do what I wanted. Um, if I wanted to do it, I would do it. If it was sex, 
drugs, partying, alcohol. If I wanted it, I went after it. And so I got completely consumed in this lifestyle. How would you call these things idols? These things were the things that I thought about when I went to sleep. They were what I thought about when I woke up. They were what I spent my money on. And my happiness depended on these things. And I thought, I thought if I sleep with this guy, then eventually I'll be happy. If I try this drug, I'm going to be happy. But then I noticed I would get to that point. I would sleep with that person. I would do that drug. And when I got there, I was empty. And what I thought was fulfilling me was emptying me. Well, that's a strong statement. That's so true. I was reading a book this week, and this is a different kind of set of temptation. But it was, uh, it was about an author who became a, a mega-selling uh, author of, of fiction writing. And he said this. He said, I wish someone had warned me that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. So one of the issues in our life is sometimes we do get what we want, like you were, and it's empty. Mm-hmm. So, so what, what led you out of that? How did? Okay. Well, all these things kind of left me feeling dirty and broken and damaged. I felt like I wasn't worth anything. Um, but throughout this whole time, people were fighting for me in prayer that I didn't know about. There were people that I didn't even know were praying for me and what I was going through. Um, and because of that, God gave me, in, in one of those moments where I felt dark and dirty and damaged, God gave me a moment of clarity. Um, and he showed me that those things that I was believing were lies of the enemy, and those were not God's thoughts about me. Those lies that I was dirty and I was damaged and I was broken were not what God thought about me. And what God thought about me was that I was worthy, and that I was redeemed, and that I was wanted, and that I could be made new. Um, And so at that moment, I decided that I would no longer believe these lies that the enemy was telling me to believe about myself. But at that moment, I was going to continue to believe what God said about me, that I'm worthy, and that I'm redeemed, and that a life with him is so much fulfilling than than that life that I was living. Catherine, I I know in an audience this large— there are people that find themselves in the same shoes you were, pursuing sex or alcohol or drugs or whatever, you know, to fulfill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are others of us that are seeking in other ways. Mm-hmm. What would you say to somebody that's in those shoes today to, mm-hmm. to try to wake them up? I would say that no mountain is too big for God to move, uh, that you are worthy, that you are redeemed, that you don't have to live in that old life, that you don't have to be that person that you were because God called you something else and he called you new and he wants you. Amen. So I want you to help us out because we're about to go to communion tables in a moment. Um, After all you've been through, when you come to the Lord's table, what do you think about? I think that he's given me a new life, that he's given me a new name. And just as he resurrected from the grave, he resurrected me from my old life. And that's only possible because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you guys give Catherine a hand for sharing with us? We've been blessed to see that up close this summer because Catherine was one of our teenage interns, and she had an amazing impact on our teenagers. We're, we're about to take communion. We're about to, to give a chance for people to respond today. Now, I want to go back to that list of things that we showed earlier. And I want to show you how this can work. Here's here's the key here, guys, is that all of these things are given to you to enjoy, but they're only going to be long-term enjoyable if God is the Lord over all of these things, okay? If God dominates this picture. You see, life works when God is at the center and these things are in the background. Things are destroyed when these things come to the foreground and God is in the background. Here's what I believe 
in view of everything we're saying today, Christians are the people who will most enjoy these things on this list because they're not looking to them for their ultimate happiness. They're not, they're not asking of sports or spirituality or food or work, something that it cannot give. They're looking to Jesus for those things, and he can do it. But guys, we got to start watching our language. I know I do. So I, I read something this week that really convicted me about this. And it's a word that I use very often that I'm really using in a bad way. And it's a word so common in our vernacular. It's the word awesome. We use the word awesome to describe a ball game or a good pizza or a nice breeze. But do you realize historically not to just a few decades ago, did anybody use the word awesome to apply to anybody but God. God is the only one that's worthy of being called awe-inspiring. He truly is awesome. And guys, that's the perspective we're talking about on this screen. God is awesome. These other things are good. They're to be enjoyed but only God is to be worshipped. So if we come to the table, here's the thought I want to leave with you. Worship the giver and enjoy the gift. Say that with me. Worship the giver and enjoy the gift. Let's say it all together. Some of you are quiet. Worship the giver. And so guys, as we come to the table and as we sing in the next few moments, I want to challenge you. Some of us need to, to change our mindset and understand a lot of the things that we've looked down upon. God has said, my goodness, you can enjoy those things. So worship him. Worship the giver and then, then enjoy every gift that he's given you. Understand that he's awesome. None of these things are awesome. They're nice. They're good. They can bring some temporary happiness. So today, as you come to table, I want you to think back to what Catherine said of what God says about you. And how awesome God has been to you. And that he's so good that not only did he want to save you and you go to heaven. He wants you to enjoy life right now. Let's pray together. Fathers, we prepare for this time of communion and response. God, we recognize you as truly the only one who's awesome. God, forgive me for using that word so tritely when it really only belongs to you. And God, I pray in these next few moments as, as we come to the crux of the matter, which is the cross, God, that we will remember how awesome you are and how awesome you have been to us and that we will embrace the fact that you're a God who you created all these pleasures and you want us to enjoy them. So God, help that to become in perspective to us as we remember the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus that he's the only one who should dominate our thoughts, our time, our action, our money. And then we can enjoy the rest, Father. So, Lord, I pray for those today who may have looked to some of these things like Catherine was to fulfill them, and they just keep on coming up empty. They get to the top, maybe of business, maybe of sports, maybe of investments, 
work, you name it, and they're still, there's nothing. And so, God, I pray for those people. They'll show up on this front row and we can pray for them. And, God, I pray for some of the rest of us who we've been so uptight about all this stuff that that we've not really listened to you. We've grown up, many of us, in a religion that says you don't really need to enjoy these things. There's your sacred world over here and get into that, but the secular world over here is completely separate and you don't need to participate in that where you have told us clearly today that you've given us all things to enjoy. And so I pray for some people that aren't really enjoying life that they'll come to you and come to this church today for prayers. I pray for someone who's not decided to follow Jesus yet because they view you as an unhappy God. God, may they see you as happy and may they be determined to follow you because you're the only true source of happiness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.